The class is Memory of Jared Ocean, and today we are going to learn the Aftorah of the second day of Pesach. The Aftorah is from the book of Kings, number two, chapter 23. It's in, this, in our books, it's 1514. The Aftorah is about King Yehoshiao. How do you say it in English, Mr. Bible? Josiah. Josiah? Mm -hmm. There is Yoash and there is Yoshiao, you know? Yeah, yeah, Josiah would be Josiah. Josiah was a king in time. When was it? What time was it? He was about 700 BCE. You're right, 700 BCE. Who was the prophet in his time? Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah, Yotam. Isaiah started with Yotam, right? Isaiah, it's not Isaiah, Jeremiah, I think. Jeremiah, Jeremiah started in, in, in Josiah's time? Okay. Yeah, Jeremiah was the prophet. But was another prophet, as we're going to learn, and I'm actually will not, it's not mentioning, Hulda, the prophetess, a woman, a prophet. Hulda Neviah. And Joshiao was a prophet, a king. He was a, he became a king. How old was he when he became a king? Eight years old. At least he became a king. They appointed him as a king. He was the son of a king, that he became a king because they killed his son. They assassinated his father. Then they made him the king. His father's name was Amon. I say it in English? Amon? His grandfather was Menashe. His grandfather, his father was Hiskiah. It's like Hiskiah was a righteous king. Just to give you a little... Then came Menashe. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He was bad news. He made sure everybody worshipped Silas. And he was a king for many years. And the country was booming in his time. Economy was good. Then he came his son Amon, was a king for a short time. He was assassinated. Amon's son was Yoshiah. Jo I say Joshiah? Josiah. Josiah. Now you know. Now Josiah became a king when he was eight years old. What is became? They killed his father. They appointed him as a king. They run the country until he grew up. Around the age of 16, 18. That was a time it started a big war from uh, Babylon started to attack the Assyrian. Babylon became the powerful, the new superpower. And Egypt joined the Assyrian to fight Babylon, to fight Babylon. Even that Egypt in, in Assyria were enemies, but to fight Babylon they joined uh, forces. And Yoshiao, at that time, the 10 tribes, the 10 lost tribes, were lost already. They were left a little bit remnants, but the majority was exiled. Then Jeremiah started, in, then Yoshiao and Jeremiah tried to start a Jewish renaissance. Yoshiao was a righteous king. Probably the only king or one of two kings that the Torah describes that he was a righteous king with all his heart and all his might. And what caused that? One day he decided when he became 18 years old or so, he made, he ordered to renovate, to clean up the temple, to remodel the temple. Because during the time of evil kings, they couldn't care less for the temple. Not only they didn't care less, they put idols inside the temple. He said, throw out all the idols, broke, break everybody, clean everything, clean it up, and remodel it. And they fundraised and they found that they remodeled the temple and they cleaned up and they found what? Book of Deuteronomy. They found the book of Deuteronomy. And they sent, the high priest sent the scribe 
the scribes, they were the people who knew how to read. Except the scribe to read the book of Deuteronomy to the king. And where it was open, they found part, a part of Deuteronomy, probably. And Deuteronomy has the curses. What will be if you don't do it? And they told them that's what they found, a piece, piece on the book of Deuteronomy inside the temple. It was probably a book that was written by Moses. It's not clear by whom it was, the book itself. Because in the holy temple, used to be next to the Ark of the Covenant was a, a Torah. But maybe it's a piece of this Torah, maybe not. He read to him the curses. The king heard the curses. He saw that a message from God. He gathered all the Jews and they started to, he cleaned up, he started a whole campaign of cleaning up all the idols in Jerusalem, in Israel. After three generations of idol worshiping, three generations, after 300 years of idol worshiping, the 10 tribes were busy with idol worshiping forever. There were two golden calves, one in Bethel and one in Beersheba. Then the King Jeroboam, right after Solomon died, set it up. Then it was, idol worshiping was a very common behavior among the Jewish people. It's almost unbelievable that the Jews worshiped idols, but it was, it was, it could only almost be like Jews were keeping Shabbos and worshiping idols. It was like, it was ridiculous. It was, it didn't make sense. When, when um, Elijah turns to the Jews, he gathered them around the Mount Carmel. He told them, for how long you jumping on both sides? Decide. Is God the truth or the Baal is the truth? Why he told them that? Because at that time, people were giving a donation to the Baal, then a donation to the shoe. Maybe this, maybe this. Just covering all the uh, bases, you know, just to be sure. Then, that was the, the King Joshua, Yoshiao, that was his time. And there is two chapters in the book of, of uh, Kings about them. That I would say the background about this man. And he did a good job. He used to send police to go from home to home to clean up the idols. It could be better, right? It was outlawed. It had to be Jewish, to believe in God. And what happened to him in the end? He gets killed in the Battle of Megiddo. He dresses as a soldier. And Ay, 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 ay. Killed by an arrow. Gets killed by the Egyptians. Yeah, Gets killed by the Egyptians. By the Egyptian king. He went yeah. against Pharaoh. It was Pharaoh. Pharaoh Necho, he was called. You know why it's called Necho? Pharaoh Necho means Pharaoh the invalid. He was, he was paralyzed. He couldn't walk. He called him Pharaoh the paralyzed. I didn't know that until today, just by the way. <laughs> why it's called Necho. You learn, you learn and you learn, you know nothing. <laughs> That's a perfect example. In any case, Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, was going to join the Assyrian king to fight the Babylon. Babylon. He was only passing by Israel. But suddenly, Yeshayahu decided that we will not allow Egypt join, go past our land to the war. Because he read in the Bible that the Jew, that the a sword will not even pass through your land. Not only will not, if everything, if you will do what Hashem wants, a, a, a sword will not even pass through your land. 
not only you will not have to deal with it, not even from one place to another. In today's world will be the UN, uh, I mean, when they say, they said uh, peacekeepers, even the UN peacekeepers will not have in the land of Israel. Then those days that he says, they shouldn't, that you went to stop, to stop the Pharaoh from passing by. Pharaoh told them, I'm not fighting with you, what do you want? He was stubborn. He was killed in the war. The Torah says he was a righteous king, told his heart, told his might. Like we say in the Shema, same word. And why was he killed? First of all, because the prophet told them that Babylon is the future. And God wants to make Babylon the superpower. And he didn't listen to the prophets. Number one. Number two, but he, he made everybody so religious. Then what happened then? Okay, give us something to think about. Let's start with a little bit. So, so Rabbi, if the if a prophet tells you something, but, you, but he himself either read or was read something from the Torah, and they're in conflict with each other, that's a difficult decision. That is a question. Not a true prophet when it contradicts the Torah, right? Unless it's temporary. Oh. He interpreted a line in the Bible. God does not, does not, God says, I'll show it to you. Just to, to learn something from inside, wouldn't it help a little bit? Terribly tough about something. They're taking pashas to Sova, I think. Maybe it's written in... Devarim 13? In Devarim? Devarim 13? 13? No, about that a sword will not pass in your land? Oh, that's... No, it's not in Devarim 13. Maybe it's in in the end of uh, Leviticus. I think so. Yes. On page 829. On top of the page. Read it. I will grant peace in the land, and you will go to sleep with nothing frightening you. I will eliminate wild animals from the land, and foreign swords will not even pass through your land. Foreign swords will not even pass through your land, right? But it's not written that the king has to go to war with them. That's a blessing from God. If you'll do what Hashem says, it's not going to happen. But there is no order here to go number one. Number two, you say, if the prophet tells you something, and you understand all the way from the Torah. If it's a true prophet, obviously, you don't understand the right way. Go with the prophet. That's all you need a prophet for. Why God made a prophet? That he should tell us how to understand the Torah. Look, even uh, Elijah disobeyed the law for a temporary time. Jewish law says that a prophet can break the law if it says in the name of God, it's a one-time thing. King uh, Elijah offered sacrifices on Mount Carmel. The only place you're allowed to offer sacrifices is in Jerusalem, in the temple. You're not allowed to do it anywhere else. How did Elijah do that? And that a miracle happened there? 
Because in a temporary way, if a prophet came and said, God said, today we should not eat on Yom Kippur, for whatever reason, because everybody is sick, whatever the reason is. If he says it's for today, he is a true prophet. He proved himself to be a true prophet from before. We have to listen to him. If he says, God says, no more Yom Kippur, then we throw him out of the show. <laughs> we lock him up. So the, so the true prophets were like the more updated news, if you will. Absolutely. Absolutely. You could, you, could, you could see how he would be misled by this, given that it says five of your men will be able to chase away a hundred, and a hundred will be able to chase again. 10, if, if it's yes. going to happen, yes. yes. But given that he lent credence to this, you could see that. Yeah, you're right. You know, and you know what he told to he, such a he king? He must have been uh, rather rather confident to meet the Egyptians. Exactly. No, that many times people ask questions if it's a great rabbi. Not only the rabbi, but only just looks the rabbi. He's doing, oh, he's doing against Jewish law. But you tell him, what do you think? My, ki my kid, would you learn he doesn't know? He knows the two right. And he still did it. Obviously, as a reason. You understand what I'm saying? Then that's, uh, every time, many times, the Rebbe used to do things that looked strange. And five years later, he used to explain why he did it. And what's the proof for it. He didn't explain the spot. If I do it, you can trust me. And whenever, whenever the time will come, I'll tell you why. Sometimes I never said. Then, but if, if, if it's a tzaddik, if it's a rabbi, if it's a prophet, you know what you think? Isaiah didn't, Jeremiah didn't know the line that, that, that Yoshiao, the king, no, he also know about that. He tells you, don't interfere. Then don't interfere. But what happens is, when you take a verse from the Torah and you read it literally, that has to be, then you get in trouble. But that's a whole other discussion. We'll not get into it. 1514, we will start to read. It's chapter 23rd in the book of Kings uh, 2. And it starts in the beginning. The Torah has the beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter. We skip in the middle apart. Go ahead. The king issued a call to all the elders of Yehuda and Jerusalem assembled before him. The king then went up to God's temple along with all the men of Yehuda and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the priests, the prophets, and all the people, young and old. He read to them all the curses written in the Book of the Covenant, which was to be found in God's temple. That's what I said before, the Book of the Covenant, he got so skilled, the king, that he said, let's call everybody. The whole nation came together by the temple, and the king himself wrote the, all what's written there, what will happen, what the blessing will be if you do what Hashem says, and what the curses will be if you don't do, because he was afraid it should happen to him. Before that, he sent a delegation to a prophetess, to Huldam. He was a prophetess who lived in Jerusalem, and he asked her, what do you think about that? We found this book, and in this book it's written that we're going to suffer. What do you think about it? Then she gave a very grim uh, report. She says, it's going to, God, is, God says he's going to throw the Jews out of the land of Israel. He's going to exile the kingdom of Judah just as he exiled the kingdom of Israel. And she had nothing ni good to say about him. She only said nice things she told about him. It will happen after you die. You will, the king will not see the exile. That's true. The king was killed before the exile. Then the Talmud is asking, why he sent to Huldah the prophetess? Why he didn't send Jeremiah was alive? Why he didn't send to Jeremiah? And there is a few answers. One answer is Jeremiah was out of town. He was on business, on a business trip. 
What's the business trick of Jeremiah? What kind of business has Jeremiah? He was going around Israel trying to bring the remnants of the ten tribes back to Judaism. To re- he wanted to reunite it as one nation. At that time, I, uh, 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 the king and, and the prophet thought they, could, they can turn things around back. That's one explanation. The other explanation is they said they knew it's, they knew it's bad news. They, they sent it to a woman because they would believe a woman prophetess is more, has more mercy. Maybe she will give us an interpretation that is a little more optimistic. Hulda had no mercy on them. She told them that as it is, even more, less optimistic than Jeremiah was. But then after he heard from Hulda that this is that's bad news, got very scared and he gathered all the Jews. He was, he was a righteous king. And he made a covenant with the Jewish people in the temple. What is a covenant? He renewed the covenant that the Jewish people had from Mount Sinai. A new commitment. Let's go and do it the right way. We'll clean up everything. You see, it was after generations of generations of idol worshiping. The king had to be pretty naive to think that he can change things around. But you have to give him credit for trying. Because to give up is very easy. Apparently did a pretty good job there. I mean, uh, except the, 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 the prophecy had already been written. I mean, we were already gone. It was just a question but of we, But we believe that your person, that um, actually his great-grandfather, Hiskiyahu, was sick, right? And Isaiah came and told him, you're going to die. What he told him? Get 15 more years of life. Uh, Before that, what Hiskiah told Isaiah, get out. And the Medrash, the Rashi, the Talmud says, he told them, I have a tradition from my great grandfather, the King David, never give up. It's a tradition in the house of Judah, in the kingdom of Judah, kingdom of David, that Jewish people, we don't give up. That's, that's, if we have one ammunition, the Jewish people, is this, the op, the always up. And more than that, if the whole Jewish people would do tshuva, God would forgive us. Nothing stands in front of tshuva. No gate of heaven can be closed. And if it's closed, you break it. You eventually make, make a, you can break any gate that if the Jews are really doing tshuva, they would, even if it's written inside, they can still turn around. That he tried. Even if he knew it was like, it's like going, Against, the, against the, the, the current. Everybody's flying, is driving on the highway this way, you're going the other way. It's like. Was he kind of just a speed bump in, the, in that sense? Uh, I mean, he did well, but it, was, it wasn't. It was, he delayed it. <laughs> he delayed things, you're right. It was not enough. Then where was the mistake? We'll get to it. Okay. Um, he was the prophet, so he doesn't have to come out. He's if, not the prophet, if, he was a king. No, 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 I'm saying. I'm saying, even if it's written that something will happen in particular you're right, way, and you're right. Tshuva, oh, you're right. Any bad, any bad prophecy could be changed for good. That's written in Jewish law, yes. Bad prophecy does not necessarily have to be fulfilled because we can repair, repent and God can forgive us. A good prophecy from a true prophet must be fulfilled. If, if, because if not, it's, not a, it's a proof that it's, it's a false prophet. A bad prophecy doesn't have to be fulfilled necessarily because Jews can repent. The best, not even Jews. Jonah. <laughs> exactly. 
Isn't it sad that What's the best that? proof that the, the things turn around to the good is from, is from angels? What's bad? He was in the destroy yeah. Nineveh, whatever yeah. it was. What's a bad prophecy from a false prophet, though? There is false prophets in the Bible. But and they made, prophecy. they usually gave good prophecies and they came out wrong. And that was the, that's what the good prophet told the bad prophet. Jeremiah told the other prophet, if I say something wrong, something that bad is going to happen, it's not going to happen, it's not a proof that I'm a false prophet. But if you promise something good is going to happen and it's not going to happen, you will for sure be proven to be a, a false prophet. That's exactly what he said. In any case, I don't want to confuse you too much. <laughs> Number three. As the king stood on his... Deus. Deus, okay. It took me a long time to learn the word Deus, but it's okay. What's right? it mean? You have one up there. Uh, yeah, Deus is, a, is a podium. Oh, okay. Right? Uh, and made I the covenant before God to follow after God. Uh, be careful to keep his commandments, testimonies, and statutes with all his heart and soul, and to fulfill the words of his covenant written in the scroll. The entire people stood by the covenant. They all stood by the covenant. They all agreed. They all took upon themselves the covenant. The entire people. Right. The king instructed Hikiahu, the high priest, the priests of second rank and the gatekeepers, to remove from God's sanctuary all the vessels which had been made for idol worship, such as Baal, Asherah, and all the celestial bodies. He burned them outside Jerusalem on the plain near the river of Kidron and brought the ashes to Bethel. Whoa! First of all, it tells you what's going on in the temple, full of idol worshippers inside the temple. The Baal, the Asherah, all the Celestians, they all say, uh, worshiping the sun and the moon and this star and the other star. And he took it all out, outside of Jerusalem, burned it, and he took the ashes to where? Bethel. Why Bethel? Where Pharaoh was. Where the golden chef was there. The golden chef was there. He made one challenge from all the idol worshippers. <laughs> what do you mean that was where they go? There were two, two golden calves in the kingdom of Israel, one in Beth El and one in Beersheba. Is this a little bit like the ashes of the Bethel? <laughs> the same the same, no, the same thing. We learned Shabbos, Moses, what Moses did to the golden calf. Grounded. He grounded in, in the water. In, in, in he, made water. Drink he, made, he made from it powder. And he made the juice. Ashes. ashes. The same thing he made from these ashes. The same idea. He learned it from Moses. Okay, what he did, number uh, five. He dismissed the priests of idol worship who had been appointed by the kings of Yehuda to offer incense on private altars in the towns of Yehuda and the suburbs of Jerusalem, as well as those who had offered incense to Baal, the sun and moon, the constellations, and all the celestial bodies. There were two types of altars in Jerusalem. There were altars who were offering incense for God, but not inside the temple. That's, again, that's also not allowed, but not so bad. They are worshiping God, not idols. And there were those who were worshiping idols. The sun and the moon and you name it. What was it mean by the kings, kings, kings? We're kings. Kings of Yehuda. The king, king of Judah before them. Ammon and Menashe who appointed the, the, the priests. They appointed by the kings, but they were doing the wrong things. Some of them did the wrong things in a sense. They worshiped God, but not in the right place. We had, we had the same thing in the second temple. And the second temple was another temple where? During the time of the second temple, was another temple. The Jews used to offer. In Egypt. In Egypt. In Egypt. Yeah, in Alexandria. Mm -hmm. 
then the law, the Jewish law says that a Kohen that served in Alexandria cannot serve in the temple. It gets a fine. They learned it from this Torah, that these coins were not allowed to offer sacrifices in the temple. You worship somewhere else, goodbye, get out of here. I just don't, don't let you forget anything. <laughs> Later in Jewish history, there were Jews who, the, the Moranos were in Spain. Then they sneaked out of Spain, they came to Holland. In Holland were many synagogues of Spani Spanish Jews who came to Holland and established a synagogue. Mm -hmm. Then shows up a Jew, 30 years after everybody was thrown out. He was so 30 years pretending that he's a Christian. Now he comes to Shul, he wants an aliyah. Hi, you can imagine what the Jews did to him. You converted to Christianity. That the rabbi stood up on the side of this Moranos, of these Jews, and they said, we accept everyone. But it was a big fight. Because the regular Jew says, I lost my, my money, I lost my family, I lost for my Judaism. Now comes this with this Hoshevid. After retirement, when he made a fortune in Spain, now he comes to like a nice Jew and he wants to be treated like everybody else. What is this? But it came from anger, not from because in Judaism believes that everybody can repent repent. It does mean he can serve in the temple. It's two separate things. They were not allowed, they were allowed to get the food that the coins get. They can get a, to eat, but not to serve in the temple. As we're going to learn in a minute. Number six. <clears throat> no, number, yeah, number six. Yeah. He took the Asherah from God's temple and brought it outside Jerusalem to near the Kidron River. He burned it at the Kidron River until it was dust and then scattered the dust over the graves of the people who had worshipped idols in their lifetime. That's a very interesting thing. He took the ashes of the idol and he spread it in a, in a cemetery where people were buried, people worshipped idols. Why did it? What was the goal? He wanted to show people, look, look what these people did. They worshiped, they wasted their life on idol worship. But what's the point? Just to insult them? What he really wanted to do? In Judaism, even if he did it for this reason, he wouldn't write it. You know, sometimes we read that Noah made a mistake, he didn't pray for the people of the generation, right? Everybody talks about it. What's the point to insult Noah? Isn't that nice? Noah lived 4,000 years ago. I mean, yeah? Go around the whole over town and insult him. What is this whole business? When we can be inspired to do what Noah didn't do, that's an atonement for Noah. If we can be used as a lesson how to do it right, mm -hmm. and his life was not wasted. It's a negative example. Basically. Yeah, but, but he's a motivator. That's the point. When he takes the ashes and he spread it over the, the, the graves of people who worshipped idols, it's kind of an atonement for the people, for the, for the dead. He says, because of you, if Jews because of you will be motivated not to worship idols, it will go on your account. It will be an atonement for you too. You're not here to insult anybody. But it will help you to get some, some rede redemption. Some atonement. We are in number um, se seven. He destroyed the parochial chambers in God's temple where the women wove tapestries for the Asherah. The women were also working there. 
in building tapestry. So everything that had to do with idol worshiping, Jewish law says that idol worshiping is not allowed to benefit from it. You cannot turn that into a synagogue. You have to destroy it. You cannot benefit from idol worshiping in any shape or form. Nothing. It has to be, has to be burned in ashes. Nothing could be benefited from a, what will take the money for a shul? No, no, no. You cannot use it, do it at anything. If it's an idol worshiping house, you cannot turn that into a synagogue. Go ahead. Number eight. He brought all the priests from the towns of Yehuda and defiled the private altar on which the priest had offered incense from Jiva to Beersheba. He destroyed the private altar near the gates, near the entrance of the gate of Yehoshua, governor of the city, which is the man left when entering the city gate. Okay, basically he took all the altars, you see. Even when it was righteous kings like Hezekiah, it was still a style of business of having altars all over Israel and people offered incense there. Could be even offered sacrifices. Even it's written in the Bible that you're not allowed to have an altar beside in Jerusalem, beside the place that God will choose. Not written in Jerusalem, but the place that God will choose. The bottom line is, the altars, and it's written that, and I think about Yoash, one of the kings, Hizkiah, then he cleaned up all the idol worshipping beside the altars. Nothing, nothing about altars offering sacrifices to another god. But to God, but you're not allowed to have altars in other places. That the reality was they were altars. That that's what it's time to clean up. Number nine. But yeah. Go go ahead. I'm sorry. The priest. The priests of the private altars were not permitted to ascend the altar of God in Jerusalem, even after they repented. Oh, <laughs> the priests. You know, they go, go up the altar of God is like a ramp. They couldn't ascend the altar of God. Even after they repent, yeah, we repent, we accept your repentance. Very nice. But you're not becoming the, the Hoshevarit sitting in the front of the line. It doesn't work like this. You're not going to open the altar. You, because you are worshipping with your hands something of the wrong things, you cannot come and be the same person worshipping here. It doesn't work. Go ahead, continue. They nevertheless were allowed to eat unleavened bread from the sacrifices with their brother. To eat, we know every coin, when you bring a sacrifice, the coin gets a piece. To eat the food of the of the coins, you can get, no problem. But to serve in the temple, on the altar, that you cannot do. It's not we didn't deprive from them the food, they can get all the, they can get the benefits, but cannot have the obligations, the, 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 the service they cannot do. But they didn't deny them the benefits that every other coin has. Okay, this is the beginning of chapter 23. Now the Torah jumps to the end of the 23. In the middle, it's going on in the Torah, in the, in the, in the chapter, in the book of uh, Kings. It's going on more what he cleaned up and he did this and he did this. It goes a whole long drosha, what he did. And it was, it was a whole campaign of cleaning up the land from idol worshiping. Huge job. Here we skip to a part because it's, you know, the Aftorah is the second day of Pesach. And we have to read something about Pesach. That's why we cho- the, the rabbis chose the Aftorah. Then they, they skip to, to the same chapter, but no, uh, verse number 21. Go ahead. 
the king commanded all the people, saying, Bring the Pesach offering to God, your God, as written in this book of the covenant. For no Pesach offering like this, in a state of purity, had been offered during the times of the judges who ruled Israel, or during the times of the kings of Israel in Yehuda. Okay, wow. He made a Passover, Pesach came, and they made a huge Passover offering. Everybody came and offered sacrifice. It was amazing. It was so good that it's written never before was such a Pesach offering, such a big one. What means never before? Because before, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel were divided, right? The ten tribes never made it to Jerusalem. They never offered a Passover sacrifice together with the Jews, the rest of the Jews. There was even the, the kingdom of Israel had a different calendar, I think. I think they celebrated Pesach, not on Nisan, they celebrated Pesach on Nisan. That's how Jeroboam twisted everything. He confused the whole Jews and everything. He changed the date, he changed the calendar, he changed everything. Then he says, forever, it was never an opportunity, the Jews from all tribes, from all from all walks of life, from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe from the other ten tribes, came together to offer a sacrifice in Jerusalem, in a state of purity, because I think Hiskiyahu once made a big sacrifice offering like this, one Passover like this, but they were not pure. The Jews were not pure. When the majority of the Jews are impure, they can offer the, the Passover lamb, even when they are impure. Anything else they can, but this they could, but it's all out of discussion. But he says that was such a big sacrifice that was never before. Yoshiao. The whole nation, whatever the whole nation was at that time, came together to celebrate Pesach. Go ahead. They are in the middle there somewhere. Only? 23. Yeah. Only mm -hmm. in the 18th year of King Yoshiyahu was such a Pesach offering offered to God in Jerusalem. And if he was eight years old and he became a king 18 years later, how old is he? 26. 26. He was 26, it was a big Passover celebration in Jerusalem. All the Jews came and they celebrated and it was amazing. Okay, number 24. Yoshihau did away with the mediums, the oracles, statues, filthy idols, abominations, which had been seen in the land of Yehuda and Jerusalem. So as to fulfill the words of the Torah written in the scroll which Sikiyahu the priest had found in the temple. There was no other king like him before or afterwards who returned to God with all his heart and soul and might abiding with all of Moshe's Torah. And after him was not one like this, right? Not before him, is it not written? Before and afterward, after not before, before or after. Before or after. Mm -hmm. so it, wasn't, it was Hezekiah, I mean, he did pretty well. Hezekiah was before him. <laughs> yeah, before him. He did pretty well, he pretty good. The prophet, the king. So he's higher than Hezekiah. The Bible <laughs> says it was higher. The whole levavo, the whole nafsho, the whole meodon. The whole levavo, the whole nafsho, the whole meodon, like in the Shema. He did everything that's written about the Torah of Moses, and, uh, and before was not a king like him. He, he says it, he returned to God. Returned to God means, was he before bed? He returned the country. Uh, just the country was bad, obviously. The fourth of the... But there is two opinions about it. Menashe and the... Menashe was big so time bad. bad. Yeah. It wasn't but enough. 
היא המנשה בוסבד. תראי, זה התלמוד היסטורי הבאות מנשה. The king instructed to remove from God's sanctuary all the vessels which had been made for idol worship, such as Baal. At first glance, the sorry state of the Jewish people at that time is somewhat hard to fathom. How is it possible that in the spiritually heightened era of the first temple, the Jewish people had sunk to such a pitiful state of idol worship on a national scale, such that the temple itself had to be rid of idols? How could it be inside the temple idols? It doesn't, you cannot even fathom such a thing. Go ahead. The Talmud? The Talmud relates that King Menashe, the grandfather of Yoshiahu, who was responsible for the proliferation of idol worship in Israel, once appeared to Rav Ashi in a dream. Rav Ashi asked him, Since you are so wise, why did you worship idols? The story goes like this. There is a half of the story. I'll just give an introduction to the story. Rav Ashi, who was Rav Ashi? The author of the Talmud. Or the, the author of the Babylonian Talmud. Can you imagine? One of the greatest rabbis. He was once giving a class in Yeshiva. And he said, tomorrow we'll speak about our friend Menashe. He was teaching the Bible. And now he comes to him, his dream, to him, Menashe, and tells him, since when he became a friend, <laughs> friend Menashe. And he proved them that he doesn't know that he doesn't know Torah. What he was teaching yesterday in Yeshiva was not sure. He doesn't know. Menashe in the dream proves Ravashi that he doesn't know what talking about. That he told them, if you're so wise, why were you worshiping idols? Now read it. Read the question again. Ravashi asked them. Since you are so wise, why did you worship idols? Yeah, what's wrong with you guys? To which Menashe replied, if you had been there, you would have lifted up the hem of your cloak so you could run quickly after me. He told them, you're talking about worshiping idols. If you would be in my time, you would run faster than me to worship idols. What is he saying? It was such a, a idlet, such a pool. It was such an addiction, like cell phones today. <laughs> Seduced. Everybody said, me too, I'm all there. Thank God there is Shabbos, I cannot use the cell phone. An addiction. It doesn't make sense. Well, what, weren't we programmed to do that by Hashem? Wasn't a part of this? Program, oh, not programmed. We are worshiping idols, the cell phone and the idols. Not programmed. We can do it for Shabbos if I can't. I don't, right? You see, you see people be intelligent people. You sit and talk to them in the middle of the day. You don't know what you see. <laughs> You're sitting in a restaurant. You're sitting with your wife. Everybody sits on his own cell phone. Why are you going out? Stay home. Stay in two houses. You speak on the phone. Right. Then what is it? He said it was an addiction. It was the in thing to do. Everybody was worshiping idols. That's what Menashe answered them in his dream. Go ahead, explains, the story explains what? Rashi explains that this was because of the desire, evil inclination, for idol worship, which was so powerful at the time. In other words, being that the first temple era uh, witnessed a greater, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Witnessed a greater degree of godly revelation, 
Its opposing force, the desire for idol worship, had to be equally powerful. Oh, here comes an important answer. For free choice, both sides have to be equally. The good side, the godly side, and the secular side has to be equally powerful. Because if not, everybody would choose the godly side. And what's so wrong with that? <laughs> then it's not free choice. Oh. It's not free choice. You cannot get reward for your, for your action. If everyone who comes to shul wins the lottery, the shul before. That was accomplishment. <laughs> it has to be that it's equal that you see when there is greatness in the world, there is greatness in Judaism. When there is no greatness in the world, in Judaism, there is no greatness in the world. It goes together. So prophecy was offset by... By idol worship, exactly. So help, so help me understand this with the with the idol worship, uh, because going back to the original um, golden calf, there is a commentary, as we're all aware, that 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 you know the people counted wrong. Obviously, the heir of wrath was involved, mm -hmm. but the people counted wrong, and and they wanted. Um, a replacement for Moshe. Mm -hmm. It wasn't necessary. I mean, a you could argue, you it was could not argue that they weren't worshiping the golden calf, that they were worshiping Hashem, and the, the golden calf was a vehicle. Mm -hmm. So, moving here, are these idols that are all over the place in the land of Judea, are they, are they vehicles through which people worship Hashem, or are people, or both, are there people who are just worshiping idols, and they're no longer paying some attention and to some. some and some. How all idol worshiping started? The beginning it started, let's thank the sun for, give, for doing what Hashem wants. That's what the sun gives us. You know, when, 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 a, when, when a waiter brings you a cup of wine, even you know you're going to a wedding, the, only, the person who invited you pays for everything, or the waiter brings you the wine, you say thank you. The wine belongs to the boss, but you say thank you to the person who gives you the wine. Just, just being a match, right? Even if he's, he's being paid for it, he doesn't deserve a thank you. In Israel, nobody thanks them. I mean, what should thank you? <laughs> it's his job. Why don't you thank him? He gets money for it. Why don't you thank him? <laughs> then the same logic was applied to the sun and the moon. Let's thank the sun for doing what Hashem is doing. Tell them. For giving us the light that Hashem in order them to give. The kids who didn't know that there is a God behind the sun, what you have in your mind, they just see what you do, they don't understand what you do. They saw, I remember my father going and looking at the sun and saying thank you. That's how idol worshiping started. In general, a world of idol worshippers means it's a world of religious people, a world of spiritual people who are looking for somebody above them. You understand what I'm saying? It's not a world of people who doesn't care, I don't need idols, I don't need God, who needs God, I'm doing whatever I want. It's a world of looking for spirituality but getting the wrong, the wrong idea. It's like a person who believes in another religion just makes a mistake but is a religious person, he just got the wrong religion. The, the same thing is here. That for, for the sake of free choice, if there is prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah, you need that the, the, the idol worshiping should have a pull. If not, it's, there is no free choice. That's the only explanation how could intelligent people be so busy with, 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 with idol worshiping. So then, Rabbi, after the destruction of the temple... Because there was no so much spirituality, and they we, pull, didn't, we didn't need the idol worshiping. And, we, and they, so they pulled the prophets, and, and uh, Hashem pulled the prophets and pulled the idols, uh, the idol worship. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, there is great rabbis, 
when there is great leaders, there is great, when there is no rabbis, the whole thing looks like this. Look no like, rabbi, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> no power. <laughs> but what I mean to say is, when there is, when you, when there is greatness, and you see it, when there is greatness on one side, there is greatness on the other side. You know, on one end, in the, the religious world today, there were never so many educated Jews like today. Never. Never so many students learned in yeshivas like in today's world. Never in Jewish history. On one end. On the other end, there is no, there is no Rabbi Kivas, there is no the Rebbe's, there, no there is no greatness. The same thing in the secular world. There were never so many educated kids as today. But there is no Einstein's. Any greatness? Everybody is just eh. Together they create a lot of good things. In the yeshivas also, together they create many good things, but there is no individual geniuses, not on this side and not on this side. It always goes to end and end. And that's exactly what happened now. It's like you're asking, a prophecy started for 40 years during the, the Second Temple. Did we still have idol worshiping during that 40 year period of time? I can promise you. <laughs> Even more. <laughs> but uh, you see, the last four years, that's, four years is not, when you look, you look in the whole picture. I'm sure it was this, and maybe if God gave, was kind enough to give us a few years of, uh, of, uh, of prophecy, what you cannot, uh, <laughs> maybe it was a few years, but it wasn't already greatness in the second temple. Let's just finish the paragraph, unfortunately. Unfortunately, there is somewhat of a comparable scenario in our times. As we stand on the threshold of redemption, the main focus of our Judaism should be the eager anticipation of Mashiach. Inevitably, then, we find that the evil inclination to cool a person's enthusiasm about the coming of Mashiach is now exceptionally strong. And some people, when you start, when the Rebbe started talking to Mashiach is coming soon, everybody got to wake up. No, Mashiach is Because when, 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 when there's an excitement on one side, must be the, ex, the excitement, the pull on the other side. Every time there is greatness, there is somebody great opposing the greatness. Even, you see, I mean, even the last... 30 years ago, it was the Pope, what his name, John, this, uh, was a great John. Pope, it was very good to the Jews, was that? 23rd, John the 23rd. Yeah, he was accepted all over the world, everybody knew him. There were greatness in it, was uh, people like Reagan and great leaders. Now, that's garnished. Not on this side, not on this side. <laughs> a bunch of mediocre people. The, but the ultimate question is, if Yeshia was so good, why was it so bad? What was, so bad? what was what was wrong? What went wrong in his renaissance of Judaism? Why wasn't he successful? You don't hear about uh, social justice and love. You hear about idol you worship. You I think he was a righteous man. I don't yeah. think he was a problem with uh, social justice. I hear what you say. It's a good point. Hashem was still angry at his forefathers. No, people do tshuva. God repents. God accepts them. The Talmud says that the people didn't want to do tshuva. The policemen used to come in, clean up the house, they used to put the idol, the picture of the idol was behind the door. You open the door, the policeman goes in, it's behind the door. He doesn't see it. Tell them, oh, we are all clean. He closes the door and they laugh at them. It's right behind the door. And what, 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 what was the problem? Because you cannot make a renaissance of Judaism by force, by police. That doesn't go. You can have a million policemen and you can destroy everything, all the idols. 
You don't bring spirituality, you don't bring Jews to Judaism by the law, by the power of the law. You have to make a renaissance, the Chabad way, to inspire them, not to force them. Therefore, it didn't work. He tried. He was sure everybody's righteous. He said, it's not going to be any wars in Israel. I'm going to be in the, the, the soul will not even pass in the land of Israel. He didn't know that the people, you don't change your hearts, beliefs, with, with strength, with force. That's a little bit the problem in the land of Israel, in Israel today's Israel, that the government <coughs> is enforcing Jewish law in many cases. There is a lot of resentment. I don't think they should stop because it's, we didn't come to Israel to be going. They can do it in America. I don't have to do it in Israel. But in Israel, you're not allowed to sell Chometz and Pesach by law. And the people sell, but in general, not allowed to sell pork by law. And things like it. it's a Jewish state. But on the other hand, because many laws, marriages in Israel can only be by Jewish law, because it's for, that's the law of the land, that many people resent it because there is that's missing the other arm of explanation, of inspiration, of encouraging people. Of, they should do it for the right reason, not because they are forced to do it. They have to choose a kind of human freedom. I mean, that's become... Yes, that's uh, what you know. And if you want what, what, Yom Kippur should be in Israel, like in Cleveland, then why we came to Israel? We waited for 2,000 years to have Chometz and Pesach in Jerusalem. By Jews? You can do it in Cleveland? You have to go all the way to Jerusalem for this. You can stay in Warsaw. To be not Jewish in Jerusalem, we didn't have to be it. We didn't spill so much blood to behave like non-Jews inside the holy city to sell pork in the, in the holy city. You can do it everywhere else. If you see, if you come to the capital of God, you better live up to, to his, to his uh, expectations. If not, don't come here. Don't come to my house and violate my laws. Stay out. If somebody comes to a shul, better respect the shul. Put it on a kippah. If you believe or doesn't believe, doesn't have nothing to do with your belief. Coming to a place of respect. But the lesson is, it's nice to do an re- uh, inspiration, to lead a movement of, insp- of re- renaissance. It has to be done with love, with inspiration, not with the power of the law. Didn't his death, though, supposedly inspire people? I mean, they, they mourned his death, and wasn't that the, the motivation? We mourned, for we mourned, and Tishabov, even until today, the death of, of Yashiyahu. He died in Tishabov? No, but Antishabov, we mourned, and all the service of the Jewish people. Tishabov is the day for the morning. All 